0: I am also actively seeking guests for this podcast. If you know someone who is currently six figures or more in their business and they have an actionable, tangible, and measurable tip to share, please let them know about it. Just go to onebigtip.com slash guest for information on how to be a guest. I can't wait to hear from you. Let's get started. Hello everyone. Welcome back. My name is Jeff Mendelson and this is the one big tip podcast. And today, my guest is Levent Yildiz Gorin. For the past three decades, he's been a mentor, a visiting lecturer at the University of of Essex, and author of Good Business in Any Language. Levent is also the co founder of TTC We Translate, a multi award winning translation and localization company. He helps businesses scale in other countries by utilizing translation services in over a hundred languages so your language can be so your message can be accepted and understood. Levent talks about the importance of breaking the language barrier so your business can grow. So join us today as we delve into his lingo model that can help any company expand into new global markets. It's going to be a very interesting discussion today, Levent. Thank you so much for joining me, and welcome to the show. It's
1: great. It's a great pleasure to be with you, Jeff. I'm looking forward to our conversation.
0: So, I was really interested in your background. So, not only as a you know as a visiting lecturer, but you also run a company that talks about translations. And you know, I was telling you in a pre-call, I speak a couple of languages, yeah, and yeah. I mix them all up all the time. So, <laughs> um, can we just talk a little bit about your background? where you're from, and how you became so amazing.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Um, Thank you for giving me the uh, opportunity. And I'm originally from Turkey, but I lived longer in the UK than I lived in my own country. And what led me into the localization and translation business was a mixture of coincidences as well as um, my and my wife's ambition to run our own businesses. We didn't want to. When we want to talk about running our own business, we didn't see dollar signs or or pound signs. We just wanted to be in control of our our future and the future of our children. And I'm originally from printing background, and when I say printing that is the manual printing without the before the digitalization, which enabled me to understand the color, the reproduction, graphic reproduction. So I'm really grateful for the. 15 years that I spent in printing industry. And then when we had our first child, my wife didn't want to go back to full-time employment. So she set up a small boutique translation company. And in 1995, to help a a colleague of ours, we acquired their business. And then the opportunity came forward for me to join the company because we had a large contract. And uh, within two weeks, I resigned from my position where I was the director of a printing company and uh, gave up my company car and just went heading to the business thinking about it at the time we didn't have any uh, purchase order from the client we didn't have any contrast any guarantees it was just a gut feeling and we didn't have a luxury of checking everything on the excel spreadsheet so it was it wasn't a logical decision it was more like a emotional decision, which I'm glad we've taken uh, with two small children, uh, UK in the kind of in recession time, mortgage to pay. None of these sort of, you know, prevented us taking that that leap forward. And here we are after 30 years, you know, never look back. And uh, we've gone from strength to strength. Initially, we were doing only English into Turkish, Turkish into English. Now we cover 100 languages. And also helping companies grow globally. So this is this is my story.
0: <laughs> I love it. You know, I love the entrepreneurial spirit, the emotional part of, of just taking a leap and yeah, yeah. then figuring out the details later. And I find that a lot of people, when they do that, it's never the right time to do it. Right. There's never a specific time that you can say like, okay, you know, today's going to be great unless you win the lottery of course right but <laughs> most people don't have that and no, no. you know what's interesting is that being able to you know to parlay your skills into something that you can actually use and help out other businesses as well is you know that's really the true gift right that's really where you yeah. know where the magic really happens i want to talk a little bit about your business about the about the translation business in general i yeah. have dealt with a number of translators on in various capacities and also various professional levels. Let's just say right. you know this really <laughs> amateur, and others. It's like you know stellar work. What goes into a higher end, world class translation service versus someone who grew up in country and happens to yeah, speak yeah. More, or more languages? What's the big difference there?
1: Well, very very good question. I like I-, I love that question, Jeff, because um, speaking a language. And translating it, I found myself that in that position 30 years ago, then I realized that it's not the same thing at all. Of course, speaking the, the language native, natively is very important. As a rule of thumb, we translators never translate into anything other than our mother tongue. So if I was to translate, I will translate from English into Turkish. Like my accountant used to say, if you do something and you're very good at it, you end up running it. So I loved doing translations, getting the, the you know the words translated into Turkish and getting the results for my customers. But then, as the as the business grew, I ended up running it. So sadly, I'm not doing any translations anymore. But the biggest difference is that a translator needs to understand the language, subject matter, and requirements of the target audience. So let me give you an example. In high context languages, Turkish is one, English is another in certain certain respects. There's, a, there's no single form for say, for instance, you. So if I was to say you to an elderly person, I would use a more formal, formal version than speaking to my wife or my, my children or my daughter-in-law or, or son-in-law, I would use a normal, um, form, uh, informal version of you. And this is all about getting connection with the target audience. Just imagine you're, you're doing marketing for a company that, that does something for professionals with, with a high ticket value and the language is wrong. That will be, you, you know very well, you're in marketing. If the language doesn't resonate with them, they will be disconnected straight away. So the use of language for the target audience and, of course, the subject matter expertise are very, very important. So for translators to do translation productively and effectively, I would say good. they need good three, three to five years. We have translators that's been doing this for the last 20, 30 years, and even for them, it is a they learn something every day. I think it's the best part that you know having an open mind and having a mindset that the learning process never ends. So for a translator versus a, a native speaker, the biggest difference is the skill and and understanding nuances of the language. And of course, also another important point, Jeff, using lots of tools. So we are Our translators are professionals, but they use a lot of tools, technical tools. So tools for uh, glossary management, tools for databases. So it is human translations with lots of technology. So a translator is very interesting, has to know quite a few, has to embrace quite a few different skills. So, yeah, it's an interesting question.
0: (laughs) So... One of the things that always gets me is the difference between translations where you're just, I don't know, translating a birth certificate, right? Cuz that's a use case. Yeah, right? But yeah. then there's also transcreation, yeah. right? Where you don't just want to take a set of words and convert them into Spanish, convert them into Portuguese, convert them into Turkish. Right? You want like you said, you want the translated the end product to actually resonate. Yeah. And they that may not necessarily be a word for word translation of Absolutely. what you're trying to do. How do you help your clients in the transcreation process when they don't need a legal word-for-word translation for something? Yeah,
1: yeah. great question, Jeff. Because it's all about getting our customers' message to their target audience. So this is purely our job as, 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 as translation service providers, understanding what our customers want to do is the most important part. So before the translation can actually start, it is important to understand what is customer trying to achieve. So getting a product to the target audience, making sure that the language used is appropriate and often direct translation doesn't, doesn't work. There's some very famous examples like when Pepsi wanted to go into Chinese market, translation that wasn't tuned to the Chinese language sounded something like Pepsi will bring your ancestors back to life so they had to sit down and re adapt the slogan to the Chinese language where it is a very high context language and everything has to make sense in in that in for that culture so transcreation is very much understanding what the message of the customer is, and then adopting it for the target audience. So it is, it is very hard because sometimes it could be 10 words that needs to be translated. But if it, is, if it is wrong, the cost of doing this is very high for the customer because the target audience will never get the message. And if they don't get the message, as you know, they will never make that purchasing decision.
0: Thank you for sharing that I really appreciate it that really, you know that makes a lot of sense you know in terms of creating an understandable message in your target company let's talk a little bit about how to really put this into practice right and this is part of your one big tip which is you know like a uh, in order to expand your business on a global level, you know you need to be able to compartmentalize the message so that you're saying the same thing, or at least alluding to the same thing within those different languages, yeah. right? Let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, how does that look in your world?
1: Yeah. Well, again, thank you for for asking me that question. Now, when a company would like to grow globally, and we know, we all know how sensible that is and how important that is, thinking about, for instance, Apple. Apple gets 58% of their income outside the USA. So if you were to take away the international expansion part of Apple, Apple wouldn't be the uh, 2 trillion US dollar company today. This is the 2 trillion, but who's counting? You know, and that goes on for, uh, that is also uh, true for many global brands. So international growth brings a lot of benefits for, for the for the business. And this is also true for small to medium-sized businesses. But what I noticed, Jeff, Jeff, working with um, uh, dozens of customers over the 30 years, the ones who have been successful have always followed a methodology. And the ones that have made mistakes that I have come across many times over were rushing into things without following a system. Then I realized, hold on, this is not a rocket science. So how comes experienced uh, business uh, development managers, directors, getting this wrong? Then realize that it is actually the lack of following a methodology. This is how I um, created the LINGO model. It is a five-step simple model that people can follow, any size of business can follow to go to, to really go global and then get their global vision realized. Um, so
0: it's interesting that you put this together in a framework, right? Because frameworks are really what helps any business scale beyond one person, right? I mean, if you, you go into a McDonald's, whether it's here, the UK, Turkey, Anywhere in the world, you're going to get basically the same product, yes. right? The reason yes. why they did that is because they have a framework for how products are sourced, how their products are assembled and how they're presented to the client, you know, as the end product.
1: That's a lovely how- example. That's a lovely example.
0: So what is lingo? What are, the, what are those parts? like? How can someone take a language translation and apply that to a framework as yeah. opposed yeah. to yeah. just going to Google Translate and translating the words?
1: Yeah. I mean, it is beyond translation because, yeah, translation is part of it. But the model is really for a business executive who would like to go global, for them to use it. The first, Lingo stands for L for learn the market, I for information gathering, N for navigate the market, G for go operational, and O for open for business. If you start from the first one, learn the market, it is about making enough tangible fit-for-purpose researches before making a decision to go into this new market. I've seen so many companies having been disappointed because they didn't make this uh, enough researches before taking action. So one customer who has very successful product in the UK is an industrial um, solvent very very successful product just on the on somebody's word they decided to go into polish market so minimum amount is 5000 uh, units labeling repackaging translations and everything only to find out that there was not enough uh, demand so the managing director says never again we'll never go international now how sad this is because they have a lovely product and chances are they're product is demanded in other countries, they just didn't make enough researches before taking that step. So, Lingo, the first step is learn the market. Understanding, is there demand for this product? And this can be done desk-based, something simple as using Google Search or Google Keyword tool to understand what is the search volume in this country for this, say, for instance, taking that industrial uh, solvent, What are the search volumes? If the search volumes are not tangible or not enough for them to to come up with a viable decision or a viable business case, then look for another market. So that step is very important to shortlist maybe two, three countries or two, three marketplaces before making any decisions. Then the next step is information gathering. So if, say, you shortlist a, a market, then... It's important to gather information. For instance, uh, I mean, UK is part of Europe, but in Spain, not far away, there are consumers have different habits. Like it's very common in the UK for businesses to have a 30 minute lunch break or eating while working. But in Spain, in France, the lunch break is one and a half to two hours. So, even within this, you know, within the European continent, there are different habits. Even some countries, Christmas holidays are different, Easter holidays are different. So there are so many differences that business executive needs to be aware of before taking that further. So information gathering makes this possible. And then comes the next step: navigate the market. This is going really deep in that market. and here, it is, it is the stage that business has to decide, am I going direct to the consumers? Or if it is business to business, am I going direct? Am I using a distributor? Am I using a, am I using a representative? Or am I using an online marketplaces? Because this each step requires different arrangements, different preparations. Online marketplaces, there are, thousands of online marketplaces, depending on the product, depending on the target audience. Okay, you know, Amazon, uh, eBay, we, we all know about them, but there are so many others. For, for Japan, for instance, online marketplaces have a different flavor altogether. Someone Something called Rakuten is very important. And in Japan, the, uh, the target audience is over 100 million. And for the Japanese customer... In order to reach them, it has to be in Japanese. Anything that is not Japanese is very unlikely to to attract attention. Unless of course, if it is something like a sort of very high value, very expensive uh, luxury item, then it could be a different story. But for most of the stuff, it needs to be localized into Japanese for, for it to attract attention of Japanese consumers. So navigating the market, is critical in that respect. And here's at this stage, stage, maybe joint ventures could be a viable step. So all that stuff needs to be taken in in stages. And then comes the, uh, the going operational because this is the implementation stage. And I've also seen many companies doing the three stages but not implementing it. What happens then? Somebody else may walk in. They may lose motivation. We are all human. You know, business executives who make things happen may lose motivation if they leave it too long. So to do this in a timely manner, to take everything together and implementing that is very, very important. And once the implementation is is done and it is operational, of course then, Business executives and the businesses has to look for mitigating circumstances because things may change, demands may may change, there could be seasonal differences depending on the product or service. So the the last stage open for business is is that stage where a business executive just monitors the progress and look for anything that, that requires their attention. So it is very much following those steps for any business and i've seen many businesses having been very successful in their international expansion
0: when you see a business that follows this framework that follows this methodology from l to o right what have you seen as the net effect for how their business grows in the target country like what mm-hmm. kind of differences have you seen with those that yeah. just go part of the way versus those that go all the way Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, it's a a good question, Jeff. Now, it is very interesting. I mean, you know, they say business executives need to know their numbers. And when you look at the numbers, everything makes sense or it doesn't make sense. (laughs) It's very difficult to talk oneself into, you know, looking at the numbers and saying something else. It's impossible. For for example, one of my customers, uh, five years ago, their um, revenues, more than 50%, I think it was 60 or maybe between 50 to 60% was coming from uh, UK market. Now, their turnover is trebled and the UK market only is like 25%. So the picture is unbelievable because you have the same product, you have the same expertise, you have the same, almost the same team, but adding a new channel. It is very, very interesting that when Apple said, excuse me, when Apple said that they are taking iPhone to China, their share has increased so much because everyone realized that, hold on, you know, you know it's all about market uh, demand and saturation. By having a new market, Apple sent signals to the stock market saying that, guys, you know, we're going to be selling a lot of these because in China, there's like, you know, a few hundred million customers who are likely to buy our product. So same for a small business, the the company that I'm mentioning. Now, you know, 25% of their income is just from the uh, UK and the rest is from, from around the world. And when it comes to doing translations, in, you know, that is producing the same user manual in different languages, they love spending money because they know that by every time they add a language, their revenue is going to increase. It's, it's actually, it's very interesting that the pressure to translate comes from the sales department because sales department says, look, I need this in German. I've got customers in Germany saying that, you know, we need a German website uh, to understand the product better and so, so the pressure actually comes from the salespeople because they know that by adding a language, there's, there's more of the sales going to come, from, from, uh, come from, that, from that marketplace. So the picture is, I mean, it's, I'm not trying to draw an easy kind of, you know, picture. It is, the initial part is the hardest part. But the rewards are so high, the companies who have been doing this persistently is getting a lot of rewards. And and the best thing is they don't have to rely on their domestic market. When things go a bit bit wrong in the domestic market, when things go downturn, or there's this competition, then there's always they have always another market to rely on.
0: Wow, what an amazing explanation. Thank you so much for that. You know, the thing is, is that, uh, you know, at least here in the U.S., the times that we deal with with international brands, I don't know, probably the biggest one, not only because we have one down the street is Ikea. You know, every (laughs) time I buy a bookcase, I have to go through pages of these, uh, you know, disclaimers and everything in 16 different languages. And then I have to read these pictograms in order to get it to work. Mm. And the funny thing is that it works, right? Works in Polish, works in Turkish, works in Arabic, works in Thai. And it works in English, Spanish, and Portuguese. So, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it really is that important in order to touch those different communities. So I really appreciate you delving into that. Can you please let everyone know how they can learn more about your company and how they can reach out to you directly?
1: Yes, of course. Yeah. I'll be only pleased to hear from your uh, listeners if they have a question about international expansion, going into a new market. And, um, or it could be something to do with cultural uh, language barriers, how to overcome them. So, I'll be only happy to, to, to hear from them. And also, I'd love to offer my book, um, free download, to, to, to your listeners. And they, I mean, I can see the, the, the long website URL link on, on, under my name, or they can just visit levant.team and it'll take them to a link where they can download the the ebook, And there are also a couple of goodies. It's totally free, free of charge. And once they read the book, uh, watch a video, and they have questions, I'll be only happy to answer any questions they may have.
0: I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. And thank you for taking the time to come on the show today. My pleasure. Uh, you know, talk about your, about your expertise. It's, uh, you know, it's a lot of fun to talk about these things and how they affect businesses in very profound ways. So, thank you for being here for today.
1: Thank you, Jeff. It was my total pleasure to be on your show.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the One Big Tip podcast. If you're a six to eight figure entrepreneur, business coach, or speaker who would like to be on this show, we need to talk.